And also, could I just encourage you, uh, uh, as I'm preaching, as the Lord lays it on your heart, would you just keep me covered in prayer so that this thing goes forward in a real straight way and gets heard as it's intended uh, to be heard. Um, I, I'm going, we, we, we've been talking about growing in the Christian life. That's really kind of the thing that we're, we're setting apart for this whole year. And we started by talking about passion and how, how, how growth and how sanctification and how discipleship is not a, as it's sometimes depicted, a squelching of passion in a vibrant life. It rather is the releasing of it. We're all called to be and we're all empowered to be passionate in, in doing life. I want to now start another series within this broader series of growing in the Lord. And it really expresses um, kind of a, a thing that God's been growing in me for about four years, and especially the last couple months. I shared uh, some time ago about this little funk that I went through. And as always happens, when you work with the Lord, He'll bring, in every situation, He brings good out of it. And uh, He used that period of time to refine in my life, really crystallize. Uh, sharpen a focus for the center of the center. What are we about? What is important? What's the main thing that we're supposed to be on? And, and that's what I want to be talking about here, this series. I've never gone into a series with more uh, of a sense of urgency and passion and excitement than I am going into this one. I'm going to be talking about love. In one sense, this is going back to the basics. In another sense, I think it's reaching for the highest heights. All growth, if it's Christian growth, is growth and love. And all discipleship, if it's Christian discipleship, is discipleship and love. And all sanctification, if it's Christian sanctification, is sanctification and love. It's all about love. In the beginning, in the middle, in the end of it, it's all about love. And so I'm going to be getting at this, this thing in a, in, in a number of different ways. Um, I have such a sense of just urgency to turn this church into a classroom and make sure that students get this. I, I, I just want this to be so installed. I want to encourage you, if you're this sort of person and this works for you, consider doing this. To come to church with some paper and a pen and take notes. If I could get more prepared earlier, we'd have notes and you could do that. But I find that by the time Saturday comes around, uh, the Wednesday notes are no longer relevant. That's just how it works for me. I wish it wasn't the case, but it's, we tried that before. But, but just come with notes. Um, or, or with some people to take notes. I encourage you to do that. We're also going to, starting tonight, uh, be putting on, a, on the Woodland Hills Church website. We've got a web page, if you didn't know that, a website, actually. I think the address is in the uh, um, uh, bulletin. But we're going to put the sermon outline and all the verses on that website. And we're also going to have our discipleship team come up with some questions for you to think about and make kind of a study guide out of it. And I encourage you individually and, and especially for small groups to download this website and use it as a small group kind of study. I really want this stuff to get internalized. I want us to be thinking about this together throughout the week, chewing on this, praying about this. This has got to happen. I want to start by painting with rather broad strokes. I always think it's good to see the forest before you start picking apart the trees. So I'm going to paint with broad strokes. For some of you, this is going to be review. For some of you, it maybe will be absolutely new. But for all of us, it's important. I want to talk about the goal of creation. I want to start with the very basic thing. What, why do we exist? What are we doing here? What, what is up with this thing? What is the goal of creation? The verse that I think summarizes it best, and I've talked about this before, is John chapter 17, where Jesus is praying this prayer. I think the goal is exemplified throughout the Bible, but it's really succinctly summarized in this prayer, when Jesus says this, For their sakes, He says, I sanctify Myself. For their sakes, I sanctify Myself, 
so that they also may be sanctified. The word means set apart or cleansed for a special purpose. That they may be sanctified in truth. Okay, so he's praying that the church would be set apart by truth. Now, what's the truth he's talking about? He says, I ask not only on behalf of these, his disciples, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. Now, now notice this. Jesus is praying that the, the, the church, the, the, the ecclesia, the, the called out ones, would be called out. They'll be set apart in truth. But the reason he wants them set apart in truth is not so they'll be separate from the rest, but rather that the rest will know who he is. So they'll become part of the church. You see, set apart in order to become inclusive. Very different uh, concept. I pray that for all those who are going to believe on me through their word. And I pray that they may be one. Now, what does that mean? He tells us. As you, Father, are in me, and as I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is praying here that the church, the, his body, those who follow him, his disciples, would be one. Relationships. That they'd be, there'd, there'd be a oneness there. And the oneness would model the oneness that God is. The community of the church would model the community, would exemplify, would be a mirror of the, uh, of the community that God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, notice this. He says, I pray, pray that they may be one in us. It's not just that the people of God are supposed to mirror who God is, but we are in who God is. The love that God is, is the love that unites us together. And that is what separates us from the world. And the reason why it's important to be separate from the world is so the world can see that Jesus Christ is for real and then become part of what God's up to in, 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 in creation. Part of this oneness. It's a oneness that replicates the triune God and participates in the triune God. For those who are... Now, some of this stuff is, is going to be getting kind of thick. Uh, follow it. Put on your thinking caps. We're going to have to wrestle with some of it. Uh, here's a diagram that maybe I think helps illustrate... Uh, what God's up to. God is, God is uh, triune. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We can represent it with a triangle. This is perfect love. This is God is love. 1 John 4.4. 4. This is perfect community. Unsurpassable, unconditional uh, love without beginning and without end. This is who God is. Now, God created individuals. We're also shaped like triangles. In fact, I think the whole creation is structured on triangles. Plato thought that too, but that's a different uh, lesson. Everything's about threes, but we're structured with a lot of threes. The core three is a God-shaped vacuum that we have in the core of our being that only God can fill. Now, we try to fill it with a lot of other things, but only God can do it. God created us with a vacuum that only He can fill because He, being love, wants to fill us with Himself. So God overflows. It's like the Trinity is uncontainable. The joy, the, the love is uncontainable. So they express themselves as an artist, not out of need. God didn't like, you know, wasn't lonely. He created us to express who He is, and He wants to pour His love into us. He wants to fill us up as He is full. He's the source, we're the recipients, but He wants to fill us up so we are full. The result of that fullness is to do what God does, and that is to say it overflows. We first overflow back to God. He ascribes infinite worth to us. That's what love is. We'll see here in a second. We then ascribe infinite worth to Him as the source of creation. We worship Him. But it's not just to Him that we ascribe worth. We also overflow towards others. Um, our, our, our neighbor. We, we affirm the worth that they have. We love them. We express to them who God is as expressed to us. 
And this then reminds them about who God is. We're to mirror God's love towards one another, and that encourages them to have that same relationship with God. And I want you to see here that the whole thing forms another triangle. The whole thing replicates who God is. It expresses who God is. The way the Bible talks about this is to say that God is glorified. That is to say, He's put on display. The triune love is glorified. It's manifested. The goal for creation, this is the center of the center of the centers. This is what it's all about. It's for the unsurpassable love of God to be displayed throughout creation. And so that the way that, that the creation, the way that we relate together, models who He is and participates in who He is. It's as though the triune community is expanded out and now includes other uh, than, than uh, God Himself. That's the goal. That's the target. That's the objective. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His loving rule, the dome in which He is king, the king dome, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God's triune love will be displayed on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the whole show. There you go. Now what is love? We've got to say this in this culture because, see, our culture defines love subjectively. That's to say, based on internal feelings. The Bible defines love objectively. Uh, in our culture, love is identified with certain feelings, which is why you can fall in love and fall out of love. You know, it's identified with feelings. It's identified mainly with hormones, erotic feelings. This is called love in this culture. So if we're going to say the goal of creation is love, we have to specify what love is. Now, the Bible gives us some very clear definitions. The, the best, most succinct ones are found in the two John 3.16s. Did you know there are two John 3.16s? There are. The first John 3.16 we all know. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That speaks volume about what, what, what love is. God so loved the world, He gave. Okay, He, he gave. In 1 John 3.16, the epistle of John 3.16, it says, We know love by this. Here's how you, know, you want to know what love is? Here's how you know love. This is the standard. This is the criteria. This is love in and of itself. This is the goal that we are to aspire towards. We know love by this, that He, Christ, laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Do to others what God has done to you. Affirm others as God has affirmed you. The core of the definition here would be this. Love is sacrificially ascribing worth to another. Love is the act. It's a verb. It's an attitude. Uh, it's a doing thing. You ascribe worth. You ascribe worth to another, sacrificing to whatever degree is necessary to do that. You can always tell what something is worth to a person by what they're willing to sacrifice for it, or at least be inconvenienced for it. And it applies universally. We say we love our dog. We say we love our house. We say we love a lot of things. And the value of, of that word is how much are you willing to sacrifice for it? I love my dog. I got a cute little dog, Winnie. It's a cute little Maltese. Oh, it's just the cutest thing in the world. I never thought I'd be loving a dog like I love this dog. I really like this dog. So uh, the other day it needs a haircut. It was kind of smelly, really getting shaggy. So we took it and got it shampooed and, and doctored up and gave it a haircut. It cost 30 bucks. I'm willing to do that for my dog. It's a cute dog. That dog has that much value to me. Uh, the other, a couple of years ago, the doctor said that this Maltese has got uh, arthritis in the knees. They're, they're, the knees get out of joint. And uh, it happens a lot with these little dogs, and so you've got to fix it. 400 bucks. Right now, now, you're stretching me here. But I love the dog that much. I'm willing to pay 400 bucks uh, to get his knees fixed so it doesn't walk around like this all the time. You know, okay, so I'm willing to do that. 
Then the doctor says, well, you know what? Most of these Maltese, if they got uh, knee problems, they're probably going to have hip problems, and you should think about getting those hips fixed. What was it, honey? About a thousand bucks. It was like eight hundred bucks, a thousand bucks. It's like, okay, the love stops there. <laughs> Done. <laughs> the dog can suffer. We'll make up for it by how much we're going to love it. You know, I, I love this dog. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, everything has worth it, but not everything has unlimited worth. Okay, I'm not going to die for the dog. You know, but it does have four hundred dollars worth. Okay, I love the dog to that degree. You know what something's worth to you by what you're willing to sacrifice for it. You know, you love your car. How much are you willing to give for it? How much do you love your house? And well, how much did you pay for it? Uh, we do this with people. How, you, how much are you willing to be inconvenienced by someone? You see, uh, that's what love most fundamentally is. How much are you willing to be inconvenienced for it? How much are you willing to sacrifice for it? It's the core definition of love. It's not just about emotions and feelings. It's about, it's about a willingness to sacrifice. Now, you get to the core of what the gospel is about, the greatest mystery in the whole Bible, when you ask the question, what are human beings worth to God? What is our worth to God? And see, here the answer is this. This is, the, this is saying, how much does God love us? God so loved the world that He gave not just a good book. Thank God for that. And he loved so loved the world He gave, not just a prophet. He didn't just send an angel. He didn't just influence us with His Spirit. Uh, he didn't just give us some rules and mandates to help us live. Thank God for all those things. But see, the, the, the mystery, the, great, the greatness of the Word of God comes out when you, when you realize this. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's what God was willing to give. That's just another way of saying God Himself becomes a human being. He became a human being for us. He crossed the infinite gulf between God and humanity to become one of us. That's what we're worth to Him. But it's more than that. He not only became a human being, He went to the cross of Calvary and allowed Himself to die a nightmarish death. He allowed Himself to be crowned with thorns and spit on and mocked and all of that. He allowed Himself to, to now bear, to experience the full weight of all the sin in all of world history. He allowed Himself to, be, to experience the punishment of God the Father for that sin. He allowed Himself to experience God-forsakenness, the antithesis of God. God is perfect triune love. But on the cross, it was as though that was severed as Jesus Christ experiences what He had never experienced before, and that is God-abandonment and even God-judgment. The all-holy, perfectly loving Son of God experienced the wrath of God on the cross of Calvary. He couldn't have done more than He did. And what does that say about your worth? Because He did it for you. God ascribes infinite worth to us because there's nothing more He could have done than that which He did do to show that He loves us. This is how you know what love is. This is the epitome of love. And that very act of God entering into what is opposite Himself, not only humanity, but the sin and judgment of God. That act expresses the perfect, infinite intensity of the love that God is throughout eternity. This is the central way that God shows us who He is. This is the kind of love that God is throughout eternity. When He turns it towards human, being, human beings, it looks like Jesus Christ dying on the cross. You are loved with an everlasting love, which means that God ascribes to you infinite worth. You doubt that? Look what He paid to get you. But it's even better than that. The love that we receive in Christ is the same love that God is throughout eternity. It's, it's not a secondary love. It's not a, a derivative love. It's not a shadow love. In fact, it's not a different love at all. The love that is directed towards me when I become a believer is the same love that is directed between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout eternity. The love that God has for me is the love that God is. That is to say, it couldn't be improved upon. I love this stuff. 
It says this in, 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 in Ephesians. This is what the Bible means when it says that we are in Christ. Now just enter into this. This is theology here. This is, this is good theology. We are in Christ. The Bible says that we were chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love, before the foundation of the world. God says, all those who believe in Me, that's all it takes, to, who, who, who commit their lives to Me, will be in Christ. In Christ. It's like a new location, a, a new place. They'll be in Christ. And when they're in Christ, they will be the object of My love, and I will make them holy and blameless. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. We were far off. Man, we were really far off, and we weren't going in the right direction. But now we're brought near. How near are we to the Father? Well, how near is Jesus Christ to the Father? That's where we are because we are in Christ. That's our location, praise God. You couldn't get nearer than you are right now. Uh, John chapter 17, Jesus says, You have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Whoa! Perfect love between the Father and the Son. And that same love now is the love that is directed towards all who put themselves in the Son by virtue of their faith. John 17, I made your name, which is a Jewish way of saying your character, your essence, I made your name, your character, your essence known to them. And we'll see in the weeks to come as we dive into Genesis chapter 3 how important that is. But put that one on hold. But here's why he did it. So that the very same love, the love, the love, not a secondary love, not a derivative love, but the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The same love. For those of you who are visual, you can picture it like this. Here's the Father loving the Son throughout eternity. It's unsurpassable. It's eternal. It's unconditional love. Father eternally loves Christ. This is the nature of the triune God. And now you are put in Christ Jesus. So the same love that the Father has for the Son is now directed towards you right here and right now. It means this, that you couldn't, as you sit here in this congregation listening to me, if you're a believer in Christ and said yes to this, if you, if, you, if you say yes to this, this is, what, this, this is what you want to define you, then you couldn't be more the object of God's love than you are right now. You couldn't be more loved than you are right now. This is what the Bible means when it says that we are made, get this, get this, get this, participants in His divine nature. It says this in Second Peter chapter 1, God has given us His precious and very great promises. They are precious and they are very great. So that through them, through these precious and very great promises, you may escape from the corrupt corruption that is in the world because of lust. Note there, we escape the world, the corruption of the world, because of the promises, the very great promises, the very precious promises that He's given to us. He doesn't dangle the very precious promises at the end of a stick so that, and, and we get out of the corruption of the world to get them. We get out of the corruption because we got them. But that's a different sermon too. Alright, let's move on. Here's the point I want to get to. And that we may become participants in His divine nature. Believer, when you believe in Christ, you, you, there's a new reality uh, that surrounds you. And for those of you who are still resisting Him, that God's just waiting to give this to you. Uh, the love is there. It's a question of you saying yes to it for you to participate in it. For those who say yes, who surrender their life, there's a, there's a new reality. For those of you who are into philosophy, you'll know what I'm saying when I say this. Uh, there's been an ontological change that has happened to you. You're in a new location. Your reality is now different. You are in Christ Jesus. And being in Christ Jesus, all the love, the infinite, unsurpassable, unwavering, perfect, perfect 
fiery, passionate love that the Father has for the Son, the Son has for the Father, is directed towards you. Not a different love, not a secondary love, uh, not a distant love. The very same love, the very same act of God loving the, uh, of, of the Father loving the Son is the act by, whereby he, he loves you. So as you sit here right now, you are the object of the love that God is. He turns Himself towards you. You see, it's not a, a, a thing He does outside of Himself. You now participate in that. You participate in the love. You're the recipient of that love. You couldn't be more loved than you are right now. Now, maybe God doesn't love what you do. Maybe God doesn't love what you did this morning. Maybe God's not going to love what you do tomorrow. Maybe there's a lot of things about you that got to be burned up and changed. But you got to know this. He affirms your infinite worth in Christ Jesus. You are a precious jewel before Him in Christ Jesus. You're the apple of His eye in Christ Jesus. He beholds you as altogether lovely in Christ Jesus. Think right now for a moment. Picture the person in your life that you love the most. Maybe it's that little baby. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your husband. I, I, maybe it's a friend. The person that you, you love the most, that, 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 that you cherish the most, that has the most, wor- the most worth to you. Okay, get them in your eye. Picture it in color. Can you see them? Just get, picture that. And notice the feelings that you have towards them. Okay, now I want you to Take that friend that, or, or whoever it is that you have in your mind and now see yourself there and now you're God looking at you with the same affection you just had for that, that beloved. He beholds you. He savors you. He adores you. He affirms the infinite worth that you have because in looking at you, He looks at Jesus Christ. The love, is that, that affection there is, is how God thinks about you. That, but that's not quite true. Take the affection that you had for that best friend or for that newborn baby or for your spouse or, or for whoever and multiply it a thousand times. And maybe you begin to get an inkling of what God's thinking about you right now. Now multiply it 10,000 times. Make that 100,000 times. Do I hear a million? Then make it a million. How about a 10 million? How about a 100 million? How about a billion? How about a trillion? Mill- uh, multiply it a, a trillion times. A trillion times! In fact, multiply it more than that. A trillion times to the trillionth power, all right? And now you're beginning to enter into the perfect love that God has for you. As you are in Christ Jesus, you participate in the love that God is throughout eternity. That's what fills the vacuum in your soul. You were made for that. That's the food you were made to eat, the water you were made to drink. That is life itself. When you walk in that, when you see yourself as being in that, there's a lot of voices in your life that say that, that, that don't affirm the worth that you have. They try to steal the worth that you have. The enemy comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. That's what he does. But God comes, praise God, to give you the infinite worth that he's affirmed for you in the person of Christ Jesus. But now note this. It's even, it's even better. Because the love that God has isn't only towards you. The Bible says it's in you. John 17 again. I made your name, your character known to them, so that the very same love with which you have loved me, the very same love with which you have loved me, may be in them and I in them. Okay, let's talk about this. How do we participate in the divine nature? God is love. How do we participate in God's love? Well, the first place is we participate by having His love come to us. But we don't just participate as recipients. That's a passive participator. You participate also as replicators. We, we are conduits of His love. It's not just that we are in Christ. That's wonderful. So God's love comes to us. But Christ is in us. And Christ's love flows through us. We are the recipients of His love. That defines who we are. 
but we're also conduits of His love. That defines what we do. And this is what brings about the process that we gave earlier of this, this triune community being replicated. God's love comes to us, it dwells within us, and it wants to flow through us. The threefold movement of God. And those three things are as inseparable as the Trinity itself. And when it flows through us, there's another three things that happen. And they also are as inseparable as the Trinity itself. Lock this in. Number one, when, when God affirms us as having infinite worth, it changes who we are, and therefore we do different things. A person does what is in their nature. Here's our new nature. We first affirm the infinite worth that God has. He affirms our worth in Christ Jesus. We then naturally affirm His worth. That's what we do in living. That's what we do in worship. We ascribe to God the worth that He is. And because He's the sole God, because He's the source of all that is life, because He's the Creator, we affirm it unconditionally. We affirm it perpetually. We worship Him. We worship nothing else. But in worshiping God, the second thing that happens is we then affirm our own worth. The Bible isn't against self-love. It's against selfishness, but it's not against self-love. In fact, it presupposes self-love when it says love your neighbor as yourself. You affirm the worth that you have because of who God is. Because of who God is, now you are a different creature. You affirm that worth. That unconditional worth that God gives you, you now affirm that. But it doesn't stop there. You also then overflow and affirm the worth of the other. The three movements here, God towards you, God in you, God through you, and it flows out in how you look to, at, at yourself, how you look to God, and how you look to the other. These three things are inseparable. You can't have one without the other. It's the same love. You see, that's why the Bible says that if anyone says they love God but don't love their neighbor, they're a liar. We affirm the worth that God has by how we look at ourselves and by how we look at others, by how we, how we affirm their, their worth. It's one in the same movement because it's the triune God who does the whole thing. Someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Will you just summarize everything you've been talking about? Just give us the greatest commandment, the, the real important one. And he gives them two for a reason, because they're inseparable. He goes, well, you should love the Lord thy God, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's worship. Everything that you're about, ascribe to God infinite worth. Live in such a way that you ascribe to God infinite worth. This is the greatest in the first commandment. But the second, you've got to say the second if you're going to say the first. can't say the first without saying the second. The second is like it. It follows from it. It's a corollary to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all the, the law and the prophets. Everything hangs on this. Everything else is a footnote to this. Love God because of who you are in Christ. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Affirm what God affirms, and that's a way of affirming uh, the worth that God has for you. This is the central, the central thing that the Christian life is to be about. It is the defining mandate as well as opportunity on our life. This is the central, central thing. It is the sine qua non of Christian living. All right? It is that without which... What does the word sine qua non mean? It means that without which nothing else can happen. It, it, it is, this, this is the deal breaker here. Listen to what the Word of God says. Because of who we are, we are to manifest that. Who you are is displayed in what you do. The defining mandate, 1 John 3.11. For this, this is the message. This is it, folks. This is the message. Not just one of the messages. This is the message that we've heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. Boom. 1 John chapter 4, the commandment we have from Him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. The two go hand in hand. The relationship that is, uh, 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 is this horizontal? No, this is vertical. The vertical relationship's got to translate horizontally. 
I've never been good at geography. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let all, everybody say all. Let all that you do be done in love. Everything you do, let it be done in love. Everything that you do, let it be done in love. Is there an exception to something you can do that's not in love? Don't think so. It says all that you do, let it be done in love. Ephesians chapter 5. Live in love. Live in love. Don't just do this thing, okay? Don't, Don't let this be something that's outside of yourself that you do. Everything else can be like that. This one you got to live in. Okay, put this on and don't take it off. Live in love. And in case you forgot what love is, Paul defines it for us. As Christ loved us and gave himself uh, up for us. The, the, the infinite worth that we have received is the infinite worth we are to dispense. On occasion, no. Sometimes, no. You live in this one. You breathe this one. You walk in this one. Everything hangs on this one. Colossians chapter 3. Above all. Everybody say above all. Does it say above some things? Does it, say, does it say above some things? No, does it say above most things? It says above all things. You got a lot of things. You know, you got a lot of things, a lot of teachings, a lot of rules, a lot of doctrines, a lot of everything. You know what? Put them all in second place next to this one. Above all things, clothe yourself with love. Put this one on. You wear this thing, okay? When you, when you get dressed or go outside, you don't wear your clothes to some places and not to others. If you do, call our care pastor. We'll address that issue. But you, you, you wear your clothes. You go to the store. You got your clothes on. You go to the church. You got your clothes on. You, you know, wherever you go, you got your clothes on. You don't take your clothes off when you go some places rather than other places. So also clothe yourself in love. This is what, what we're supposed to wear. Uh, uh, above all, do that. Most important thing, do that. Central thing, do this. First uh, Peter chapter 4, above all, everyone say above all again. Above all, just to lock it in. Maintain constant love. Constant love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. You get the impression that this is pretty important. This is the central thing. This is what it's got to all be about. This is the central defining thing in our life. You know what's wonderful about it is you don't have to think about it. You don't have to evaluate this one. God, should I affirm the infinite worth of this person? You know, I wonder if I should or not. You know what? He answered it. Above all, do this one. Well, but, but I wonder if I should be, be wearing love in this situation, but not in this situation. Should I do it here, but not there? Should, you know what? At any time, at any, with any person, in any situation, in, in any environment, do this one. Wear this one. This is, this, this is the given. This is the absolute. This is what we're called to do. It's the central defining thing. Why? Because it's the goal of all creation. It's the core of who we are. And therefore, it's the central mandate of our lives. Everything else is summed up in this. In fact, this is exactly what the Bible says. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It says it seven times in the New Testament. Everything is summed up in this. In other words, if you do this, if, if you wear love, with the Bible's definition of love, you're going to be taking care of the rest of the law. It, it, it's gonna, everything else God requires of you is going to end up being fulfilled in the process of fulfilling this one. Love, 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 here love, there love, this person love, that person love, this situation love, that situation love. You do that and you're going to be taking care of everything else. But know this, you don't do this and it doesn't matter what else you do take care of. This is why I call it the deal breaker. This is the center of the center of the center. If you, can be, you can do everything else that God has ever asked anybody to ever do and do it to a perfect degree. But if you're not clothed with love in the process, it is altogether worthless. You don't believe me? Listen to Paul. 1 Corinthians 13. We, we, we read these verses too frequently. We hear them at weddings too much. Uh, and therefore, we're too familiar with them. Uh, these verses are the most 
uh, uh, pseudo-religion, pompous bashing verses in the Bible. I mean, this is, this is radical, radical stuff. Look what Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, that's a good thing. Not, nothing wrong with that. Paul affirms that. Praise God, we believe in the gift of tongues. Fine. But if you can speak in the tongues of mortals and even of angels, but if you don't have love, you're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Religious noise. Religious noise. Boom, boom, boom. Crash, crash, crash. Man, can you speak in tongues? Wonderful. Who cares if you don't have love? It's nothing. It's worthless. It's gone. Religious noise. Static in the air. He says, if you have prophetic powers. Wonderful. We love prophetic powers. God, thank God for the gift of prophecy. And we understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Whoa, now we're getting there, folks. This person really, really has a lot of knowledge and wisdom and insight packed full of it. All mysteries, you understand it. None of the rest of us do, but you do, and we're all, we're all duly impressed. Okay, prophetic powers, understand all wisdom, understand all knowledge. And you have all faith. Woo! You can move mountains. Mountain be thou going over there right now in Jesus' name. Everybody is impressed. But you know what? Paul says if it's not about love, if, it's, if it doesn't hit the center, it is nothing. Zippo, nadier, gone. It, it's altogether worthless. Bang, 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 crash, 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 boom, boom, boom. Who gives a rip? We're talking about some pretty good religious stuff here too. And if I give away all my possessions, hallelujah, Mother Teresa herself, and if I give over my body so that I may, I, I may boast, you lay down your life, but you do it because you want people to notice it. Hey, how am I doing here, huh? You know, am, I, am, I, am I keeping up with the religious, you know, deal here? It's altogether nothing. It's absolute worthless. If you do love, clothe yourself in love, you'll get everything else. But if you don't do love, it doesn't matter what else you do. And I wonder if we really believe that. Uh, uh, you know, it, sometimes we get our priorities sort of mixed up, I think. We value a lot of things that don't have much at all to do about love. Um, a lot of things that don't emphasize love. You know, we hear a lot about revivals today, and I love revivals. No one go out of this place saying Greg's against revivals. I like revivals. And, and I hear about, you know, revivals, and I've been at some revivals, and I like them. And, and people there, you know, they, sometimes you hear, well, they're, they're coming out of Toronto or coming out of Brownsville or whatever, and, and what you hear about is, 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 oh, man, they had gold dust coming down. People had gold. You ever heard this stardust on people? Hallelujah. I, I'm fine with that. And people laughing in the spirit because of the joy of the Lord. That is wonderful. Nothing against that. Don't ever hear me saying that I think that that's a bad thing if it's done in an appropriate way, and it's genuine. And people being healed and, and, and miracles happening and people being delivered and people being slain in the Spirit and people speaking in tongues. And that's all well, fine, and good. But you know what? The question is this. If you're going to have a revival, does it revive your love? Do you come out of the revival being more on fire with love for people, for the unlovable people in your life, than not? And if love didn't happen there, then nothing that did happen there is of any consequence whatsoever. It counts for nothing. Bang, 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 boom, 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 crash, crash, crash. And maybe you say, well, man, I got a Ph.D. and I got three books of the Bible memorized in the original language. Boom, 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 crash, 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 if it's not clothed in love. Yeah, but you know what? I stand up for truth. I got correct doctrine. I come against sin wherever I sin. Hallelujah, right now. You know what? Fine, wonderful. But if what you're communicating is not the infinite worth that the person that you're talking to has, then no matter what else you do, it's altogether worthless. It's altogether just bang, 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 boom, boom, boom. And we here at Wilton Hills Church, let's personalize it here. We can have good services. We can have nice music. We can have, you know, good worship stuff. Praise God. Thank God for that. Maybe once in a while we even have a good sermon. We have guest speakers. Praise God for that. Fine. Fine. And you can have good children's programs, good youth programs, good singles programs, programs all over the place. Wonderful. Fine. Nothing wrong with that. 
But if the end product of what we're producing isn't people who live in an outrageous, radical, ridiculous love, then it's altogether worthless. Amen? It just doesn't count. The standard, the criteria is this. Does it, does it, is it motivated by love? Does, is it carried out in love? And does it communicate love? Do people, if there's anything we should be known for, the body of Christ should be known for, it's got to be these people love in a ridiculous way. If that's not your reputation, something's wrong. Are people becoming more outrageous lovers? That's the bottom line. And it's not just, it's not just if, uh, if, if love is absent from what you're doing. It's even, Paul's getting it's even stronger than that. If love is not the foremost thing that you're doing, if love is in second place, you take anything and put it above love as a principle, as the greatest commandment, and you are going to get something that is evil. It will look very good. It will look very good because it's probably a good principle. But it will be evil because it's not governed by love. Sometimes people say, well, you know what? Yeah, you've got to balance. One of the worst lies of the devil is that if you preach about love, you're being liberal. I bet some of you here think, were thinking that. Oh, here's, here's a liberal preacher. He's talking about love. Rebuke that thought in Jesus' name for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Where do we get this idea? People say, well, no, we've got to balance. We've got to balance love. Yes, yes, all, all in due course. We've got to balance that with correct doctrine. And we've got to balance that with, with, with the Bible. I'm all for balanced teaching of the Bible. Absolutely. But you know what? You take the Bible and, and, and you put it above love. The Bible, you put that above love, what will happen is you'll use it sometimes loving when people agree with you about the Bible and you'll become very unloving when people don't agree with the Bible and that Bible becomes a very dangerous weapon and some of you have taken hits on that, haven't you? The, the devil can quote the Bible, but he doesn't do it in love. You take a person who doesn't have love and you give them a Bible and they're a very dangerous person. They can slingshot verses out of people that just rip them apart. There's nothing godly with that. It's when it's clothed in love that it really becomes a healing thing in our life. This thing about we gotta balance we gotta balance love with correct doctrine. See, think about this. And I hear this a lot. Yes, yes, love, but we need to and I'm all for correct doctrine. Wonderful. But you know what? Where do we get the idea that love is in competition with correct doctrine? Love is correct doctrine. This is the central doctrine. This is the doctrine of all doctrines. You want to be biblically correct, start loving outrageously. This is the foremost doctrine. You know, I wonder about this. Why hasn't, in the history of the church, hasn't anyone ever been excommunicated for not being loving enough? You think about that. What does that say? Well, we've excommunicated people for a lot of reasons. You know, you don't cross your teeth the right way, you don't touch your eye the right way, and maybe some of them have been good reasons. You know, we're very quick to excommunicate people on the basis of doctrine. Heck, we burn people at the stake if they don't agree with us, and we'd be doing that today to a certain degree if there wasn't a law that prevented it. We, 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 we're, we're very quick to kick people out and do whatever we want to, but no one's ever said, hey, you know what, you, you're, not, you, you're not loving enough. And yet, this is the center of the center. This is what it's all about. You get this, you get everything else. You don't get this, nothing else is worth getting. Oh, Lord. You know, there's, there's some places where you can, you can uh, you know, get kicked out of a church because you dance. Or you can get kicked out of a church because you have a wrong view of the rapture. But you can be a, 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 a racist, gay-bashing person and be the pastor of the church. And no one blinks an eye. In fact, in some places, I think it's a prerequisite. Lord, we need help, Lord, in, in, in growing in this centrality of this thing, growing in love, seeing what it's all about. Anything above love becomes a damaging thing. Becomes a damaging thing. I'll close with this. I, I want to I, I give a challenge here. 
And I'll back up the challenge with this a little bit more of a teaching. Love, here's the thing about love. Here's the thing about love. I want everyone's attention. It's always particular. It's always concrete. It's never abstract. You can't affirm the infinite worth of an abstraction. You can only affirm the infinite worth of this person and that person and this person in this situation and that situation. Love is always here and it's always now. And it requires staying awake to remember that. It's always particular. The Bible says, uh, brothers and sisters, let us not love in word and speech. That's abstract. Oh, I love the world. Let us love in truth and in action. And the word truth there is, is aletheia, to disclose something. It's got to be seen and it's got to be in action. And action is always what you're doing right now. Love is always particular. So here's a challenge I want to give us. I'm going to try to get challenges uh, for us uh, on most of these messages. Something to chew on throughout the week. And this is the big one. This is the center of the center. This is upon, that upon which everything else hangs. In every situation... Every day, in every moment, in every situation, with every single person that you meet, ask this question. Clothe yourself with this question. Live in this question. How can I affirm the infinite worth of this person for whom Christ died? And there's nothing else you could ever think about that person or do towards that person that's going to uh, 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 supplant this as the highest priority. Get this one taken care of first before you do anything else. Before you think any other thought about them, this is the thought to think. How can I affirm the infinite worth of this person? There is no person, every person you see in, in your life as you're leaving this church, as you're going, remind yourself, this person has infinite value, infinite value. Christ died for them. How can I express that? That's your main obligation in life. If this doesn't happen, nothing else we're ever going to talk about is worth happening. This has got to happen. It will look different with every person uh, in every situation, but it's still going to be about affirming their, their infinite worth. It will look different you, you, to the person at the, the, the grocery store as you're checking out. You can affirm their infinite worth. It may just be a smile. It may be just a hello. The stranger you see, it may just be a non-judgmental glance you give them, a pat on the back, a, 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 asking a question about their child. It will look different with your spouse, with your children, with your close friends. Love has a, 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 a number of varieties. It's always particular. It's always here. It's always now. But it always can be done. And it never should not be done. And I want us to think this thought. And then closing here. Realizing that this is the central thing that we're called to do. I want us to feel the gravity of this. How many times have we not done this? And know that each time we haven't done it, it is sin. And I all of a sudden realize that I'm a billion times over a sinner in need of that grace, that unmerited worth that God affirms in me. And if it's not about grace, I'm a lost cause. What it is to grow in Christ is to grow in this question. How do I love this person right here and right now? To put that above all. Would you close your eyes and I, I'm going to ask two questions here. Um, first of all, is there anybody here who wants to become a Christian? You, 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 you want to give your heart to the Lord? Just raise your hand. You've never, maybe you've been a religious person, maybe not. I don't care. It doesn't matter. But you've never said yes to the infinite worth that God has expressed to you on the cross of Calvary. Raise your hand very high. And I, we'll just pray for you from up here. I just want, it's one prayer away. Sister, sister, amen. W wonderful. Anybody else? Just say, you know what? I need that, that love that Christ died for me to have. I need it. Raise your hand very high. I want to see it and I'll just pray for you. The Bible says you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the back, there's several people. Wonderful, wonderful. Up here. Thank you, sister. In the back over there. Praise God. You're saying, I need that. I need that. It's not about what you do. It's about who you're going to trust. 
and receive the infinite worth that you have in Christ Jesus. Back there, another person. Amen. Anybody else? Brother, thank you. Anybody else? Real quickly here. Over in, in the corner back there. Wonderful. Amen. Anybody else? The Spirit of God is moving over here. Thank you. Hallelujah. This is it. You're just saying yes. You're just saying yes to what God has done. Follow me in this prayer. Okay, brother, I see that hand. Whether I saw your hand or not, if you want to commit your life to Christ, you pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, let's all join in and support Him. Heavenly Father, I thank you that when I was a sinner, you sent Jesus to die for me. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. But I thank you that Jesus died for me. And so I ask you, Lord Jesus, to come into my life. Forgive me. Wash me. Make me clean. Live inside of me. And live out your love through me. I surrender all my life over to you. I want to ask another question here. If you Right now, I want you to think of whether you're a new believer, just did that, or an old believer. I want you to the Lord, right now, to the Lord to give you a person, one person, that you have not, about whom you have not ascribed infinite worth. And this can be hard. But God's love wants to flow in you and flow through you just like it flows to you. And if you are, want to commit before God to now, it's not about how you feel. Maybe you feel yicky towards them. But will you speak and think and act in such a way that you affirm the infinite worth of this person with every eye closed? If that's a commitment you want to make this week, would you just raise your hand before the Lord? Raise your hand. Amen. Wonderful. Father, I thank you for all these hands of commitment, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that you'll make us outrageous lovers. Lovers of the unlovable. Lovers of the judged. Lovers of the ostracized. Lovers of our family. Lovers of our spouse. Lovers of our children. Lovers of our neighbors. Lord, it looks different in every situation, God, but but we have received, freely received, without merit, your infinite worth. And now you call us just to manifest that reality in every single person we come in contact with. Lord, help us to remember this. We forget so often. Father, I pray that we would ask for your forgiveness and confess the reality that we are sinners who have not done this. So many people we have not loved. So many people we've spoken about. So many people we've thought thoughts about, Lord. So many people we have not affirmed their infinite worth because you died for them. Father, change that in us. More grievous than any sin we could possibly have is that one. This is the center of your program, Lord God. Help us to walk in it, to live in it, to clothe ourselves with it, to be transformed by it, Lord. Help us to remember to live in the question, how can I affirm the worth of this precious human being that stands in front of me uh, at at the grocery store right here and right now, Lord. And let, Lord God, that be a heart-expanding, liberating thing in our life as Christ is formed in us and all of His wonderful reality. We go out of here, Lord God, with a commitment to do it, relying on Your Spirit to empower us to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would the prayer team come forward? And I want to just invite you, if uh, 
there's any need in your life whatsoever, we have some folks here who would love to spend some time praying with you. Maybe you just want to come up and pray on your own. You're free to do that. Maybe this is an area that you've really struggled in. I encourage you to come forward and spend some time in prayer doing that. Otherwise, go out and be radical, ridiculous, Christ-like lovers for every human being you come into contact with in Jesus' name. Amen.